you're such an ass kicker. (laughs) You know, for so long, I never kicked ass. So it's good to finally do so. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Trafficked. Today, I'm sitting down with Alicia, who successfully sued her pimp after he kidnapped her from her home at the age of 16 and forced her to work as a Las Vegas sex slave for 17 years. Alicia's story is remarkable and heroic, and I am so honored to have her on the show today. Alicia, welcome to Traffic. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's go back. There you are, 16 years old, walking to the mall. A normal day. What what went through your mind as you set out from home that day? Um, absolutely nothing. I was walking home, and um, my trafficker approached me in a brand new car, um, a brand new Mercedes, and I grew up in a medium class neighborhood. My parents worked really hard. So we didn't have Mercedes and Range Rovers. So when I saw him, I hesitated, but I talked to him and, um, he told me he was a record producer and, um, he asked me if I wanted to go to a show in California. And I have never been outside of Portland, Oregon. Um, my parents just couldn't afford to send us to California or, um, so I told him my parents would never let me go. And he said, you could just run away for a few days. I'll have you back by Sunday. And the young kid and me decided to take that chance. And he asked if you wanted to go to dinner, walk us through what happened next. So um, we ended up going to dinner and um, the waiter actually served me wine and I was only 16. So I thought that was pretty cool that he had that much pull that the waiter would serve me wine. Um, We talked and he asked me, he was like, you know, I, um, I have a show. Ja Rule is going to be in a doing the entertainment and you should come and I'll have you home by Sunday. And the little girl and me thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to meet a famous singer or rapper, whatever he was. And um, I said, I have no clothes for the weekend. He said, let's go to your house. And um, if your parents are there, we'll just leave and I'll buy you new clothes. And if they aren't there, you can get some clothes. So I said, okay. And we went to my house. My dad was there. So we left and we were on our way to California. And what he said then changed the game. What was it that he said after leaving your home? Um, Actually, we pulled into Fresno, California. He took me down a strip called Blackstone. And he asked me, do you know what those girls are doing? And I said, no. And he said, they're making money. And I said, doing what? And he said, they're hookers. And I said, oh, my God, I've never had sex in my life. I was 16. I went to an all-girl private school. I 
never had sex before. And I said, that's disgusting. He's like, that's what you're going to be doing. And I was like, I started crying. I just want to go home. And then he told me, I know where you live. If you don't want anything to happen to your family, that's what you're going to be doing. And then you went to Nevada. First, I was there. On, I worked the track in Fresno. Okay. And my first John that picked me up was an undercover. And my trafficker had rehearsed with me over and over what I was going to say if I ever got picked up by the police. And in my heart, I just wanted to tell the police, like, listen, this guy took me from Oregon. This is what he wants me to do. But in the back of my mind, I kept thinking about this guy knows where I live. Um, What if he hurts my family? So I did exactly what he told me to do. And that was give him a fake name, a fake birthday. And within 24 hours, I was out. And then we were on our way to Las Vegas. Got it. And so this went on in Las Vegas for for 17 years. Correct. Correct. And it sounds as though each time I've listened to your story that it was your relationship with him was really characterized by abuse. Did it ever end? Did you ever have life without him abusing you? Um, There was multiple times that I tried to leave and he found me. Um, One of the times I tried to leave, he went to Oregon and got my 12 year old little sister. And back then we had pagers and pay phones. And he had a code, which was double zero. And I got a page on my pager and it had his code, but an Oregon phone number. And I called it back and he was like, I'm in Oregon. Someone wants to talk to you. And my little sister got on the phone. And then I said, put him back on the phone. And I said, listen, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just please leave my sister alone. What did your little sister say to you when she spoke to you on the phone? She said, I'm going for ice cream with um, basically Sharp, who's my trafficker, but we called him RC. And um, at that point, I had already had a son by him. There was 10 of us girls. We all looked the same and we all had one child. That was kind of his way to keep us because he no longer used my family. He used my son. You'll never see your son again. Um, And that became his manipulation was my child after that. What, when this was all going on, what happened to to the kids that each of the 10 of you had? Um, his sister would babysit them. So we would never have our children in our, um, in our possession, as you could say. I called the police on them eight times, as they said in my, um, testimony. And every time that I called the police, nothing ever happened. Did the police ever even show up? Never. Because in their eyes, I was just, back then, it was just, I was a hooker, and he was my man, so. And it was looked upon like you wanted to be there by the police, or? 
I think the police thinks it's a choice. Mm-hmm. They don't see the manipulation behind it. Yeah. And I think that's something that um, that people need to work on with them. If you were to have a word to the police, what would you say to them to educate them? I would definitely tell them that could be your daughter. That could be your sister. That could be your mother. Um, I would tell them that uh, mass manipulation is real, just like manipulation in any aspect. Um, Traffickers use manipulation and some of us are weaker than others and we believe it or they scare us into believing it. And that's part of manipulation. One time I was hogtied and in the trunk of my his car and he drove me out to the desert. He thought he killed me. And when he popped the trunk and he saw I was still alive, it shocked him. And he had me dig my own hole in the desert. And as I was begging for my life, now that I think about it, I was like, that was manipulation. He knew exactly what he was doing as I was digging my hole. Yeah. But in our minds, that's, not fully developed or traumatized, we believe that they're capable of anything. And some of them are. I mean, look, he's proven to you that he's capable of anything. Beating you to the point that he thought you were actually dead, going to pick up all the way to Oregon to pick up your 12-year-old sister. This man was in fact capable of ever, of anything and displayed that regularly. I have to say there's nothing weak about believing that he was capable of anything. And I think, uh, Alicia, I, I just, I, I want to step in because not only was I kidnapped, I never lived the life. I was never in the life, but I was kidnapped for it. But I've worked with thousands of survivors over the decades. And one of the most common things is people think like, well, I don't know why I believed that. Any sane person would believe that. Mm -hmm. Anybody would. And anybody who says otherwise isn't standing in the shoes of, well, frankly, reality. We all can be manipulated. We all have something we hold dear to us. And if that thing is threatened, we would do anything. And to point fingers and say, oh, only certain people would, or you have to be a certain age or a certain intelligence level, fuck that. Right. Absolutely untrue. Any of us could be manipulated. This is your interview. I wanted to say that though. (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) I got a lot, a lot of backlash um, after I testified. Um, they, July 2nd of 2011, um, I ran out of my house naked. Um, my neighbor was home and I was banging on her door. She would not open it, but she did call the police. Um, when the police, he dragged me back in the house naked, um, with a gun. So it became first degree kidnapping. Uh, she showed up to the grand jury. The neighbor. And, go ahead. The, the neighbor showed up to the grand jury? Correct. Okay. Um, I did not. 
I was in fear that he was going to get away with it again. And this time I was going to end up dead for sure. But this square lady that would not let me into her house had enough balls that I didn't go to the grand jury and tell her truth. And it gave me hope. And they put his bail at a million dollars and I had to be a million dollars cash. And they had to have a source hearing on where he got the money from. And um, I went back to Oregon and they put a, a million dollar material witness warrant out for my arrest. So they came, yeah, they came and got me from uh, Oregon and put me in jail for 38 days until I testified. Wow. And he got convicted of every single charge and he would not stand up for sentencing. Um, he told the judge basically to fuck off. That he had an unfair, unfair trial and the judge gave him 13 life sentences and one without. <laughs> so he will not go up for his next life sentence until 2083. Um, since then, I've had like 10 girls reach out to me that were with him prior to me even coming into play with him. Um, and that was in 93. And um, he had the audacity to sue me from prison. And then I countersued him and took his whole empire down. <laughs> yes. So what did he sue you on what grounds? So the car that I was driving was in his name. So he sued me for the Porsche and so I was like, oh, my God, I don't I, I can't afford lawyer fees because I was done working, um, you know, because once you you have that way out, you find your way out. And sometimes you think, oh, my gosh, this is the only thing I know for 17 years. What am I going to do with my life? You know, and um, so I frantically called lawyers who would take my case on a contingency. And I said, listen, this guy has. So many houses. He has this, this, and this, and I helped him get it all. I know where everything is. And the lawyer's like, I don't think he has this stuff. And then he hired a private investigator. They did a asset search and by golly, he had all this stuff and we won. And then we proved the RICO act against his whole family. Wow. And, and that's where I'm at now. And so how old was your son at this time? Were you able to get custody? So we never went to court for custody. Mm -hmm. um, my son was, so in 2000, my son's 23 and, uh, and he went to prison in 2011. Um, and for a while, my son hated me. My son thought I put his dad in prison for life. And so I took my son to the prison and dropped him off and let him visit his dad. And he said, one day he came out and he said, mom, I never want to see him again. All he does is talk about you. And I said, oh, it's a choice. That's your choice. And I'm giving it to you mm -hmm. because I don't want to be that person that tries to turn you where you don't want to be because I don't want you to hate me. I just want you to know my truth. And I want you to know 
what mommy went through and you're a grown man now. And I just want you to make the right choices in life because my son could go either way. Right. And that's what scares me the most. So you said, I want to go backward for just a moment, Alicia. You said you got backlash for, from who? About what? Everything. Backlash for standing up to, to him? I, 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 it's unfathomable. I was called snitch. I was, um, everybody told me. of his or something? Or? By everybody. Like, People that didn't know me didn't know him. Um, they said I had a choice and I could have left. How could I be there for 17 years? I could have called the police, but you can't stick up for yourself through everybody. Like you have a hundred people coming at you and they're, they're not going to know your truth. You can't explain it to everybody. It's not my position to explain it to everybody. Um, the only thing I can do is help the ones I can and um and everybody else has to see it through their own eyes i can't defend myself constantly yes so as this was all going on and you were pursuing charges against him did you fear that it it, it wasn't it, it somehow it was going to backfire given he'd been so effective at at getting out of everything all these times? So when he, um, when he got sentenced, he, you have a year to file certain uh, appeals. And um, when he had sued me, I sued him, but civil takes a long time. I'm a paralegal now because I needed to know my rights and to help other people. Um, so civilly, I could put it on the back burner and tell Sharp, my trafficker, exhausted all his appeals and he would never get out. And then once I tore down his empire, he couldn't pay anybody to do anything to me because he has no money. Yeah. But once you take the funding away and once you take the manipulation away, they have nothing. They're like a scared little kid. And, um, and I subpoenaed the phone records and I listened to him and he still tries to be like a shot caller on the phones, but I know nobody listens to him anymore because he has nothing to pay them. And that was my main thing is like, take his finances away. And the people that got added onto the RICO act, I can take 25% of their income. I can really damage a lot of things in their lives. Like they did mine if they want to keep playing the positions they're playing for this man that abused so many women, like you have to take a stand for yourself. I can't defend myself, but I can take a stand for myself. And hopefully 15 other women behind me are going to want to make that same stand. Yes. And that's all I can do. And so when I got out of the game, I left the game, I got baptized. I went back to school I got in the medical field that wasn't for me. I hate seeing people hurting. And so I was like, let me learn law because I love it and I'm good at it. And, and that's where my passion is. You have accomplished so much. I heard you say you'd gone back and got your GED. Now you're a paralegal. What you've been, you've accomplished so much. T tell us more about uh, the things that you're doing now and your accomplishments. 
since all this has happened. So I also go to a couple of the tracks here in Las Vegas and I hand out love bags and inside the love bags is the stuff that they need out there in the streets. And it also has my card. And so when they're, they need help or they need someone to talk to, or they need someone to pray for them, or they might need to go get tested or if they got raped or their kids need Christmas presents, they call me. And if they need my services at my law firm, I have my lawyer take the case. Um, but I hand out love bags. I go out there at nighttime and I just, I minister them. And sometimes there's like their pimps are out there and I ask their pimps, Hey, listen, I, I was an ex girl. I, I just want to talk to your girl. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes, but I just want to pray for, her. is that okay? And they'll be like, yeah, that's fine. Or you know, and I come out there with spotters that watch my back in case pimps are around me or, um, but I really just want them to know that there's help and hope if they want it and need it. And sometimes girls aren't done until they're done, you know, yeah. and, and I get that because the, man, the manipulation so deep and it's been so long since they've heard the truth. And, um, and sometimes you just got to be there to pick up the pieces. And, um, that's what, that's what I, I, I was missed out on. I didn't have nobody there to tell me, Hey, listen, you're loved and you're beautiful and you don't, I'm here to help you. What can I do to help you? And, um, like the police should have been there to help me all the times they could have said, Hey, listen, you look really young. How old are you? And that was never their question. I was just a dirty prostitute. I was going to get out and I was going to go back doing the same thing I did the night before. There's something about speaking to these girls and bringing truth to them. You know, you, you it, with the manipulation going on so long, I would imagine it's hard to discern between like what's really reality, what's really truth. And you there speaking true words of them, to them, love, compassion, prayer. I can imagine it makes more difference than you could ever imagine in moving them down the road to believing in themselves again. Absolutely. So Alicia, you've also started a foundation. Tell us about that. Would you share some details? So it's just finding a new way. It's just a, a new way of life. Um, I didn't know my new way. I was lost in the sauce. And, um, and then I learned, well, sauce is something you dip your stuff in, right? So I learned how to figure it out. And um, that's how I came up with the name, Finding a New Way. And that's when I go out there and I do it on the weekends. And I just, um, if they need help finding their, getting their ID or enrolling into school, it's just some, my girlfriend does hair and makeup. So I just try to get them into the real world because sometimes they don't understand the real world. Yeah. They've lived a game lifestyle for so long. That's all they know. And if we show them something different, then they might try to take that chance. Because like in your case, at 16. What do you know about the world? You just don't. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. What is it that you want women and in many cases, men, but uh, you know, who were taken as boys themselves, but 
what is it that you want people to know and learn from your journey? Um, definitely that it was never their fault and they have nothing to be ashamed of. And they have to definitely let go of the weight that's been holding them down because a lot of times I feel the weight and I'm my own worst predict. Um, and that uh, they're, they're beautifully made and they can do anything and everything they want to do. And they're worth it. And um, only they can believe that. Once they believe it, the world's going to believe it. But you have to believe it yourself. And that's the most important thing. Amen. Your willingness to keep believing when it seems everything in life was telling you not to believe, not in yourself, not in a higher power, not in the fact that it was going to turn out someday, is, is that willingness to believe is such an inspiration. And you really display that if you can do it, each one of us can do the same. Absolutely. And at this time, you know, this time in human history, a lot of people are feeling like there's nothing to believe in and, and they don't know which end is up, but you're proving that it doesn't matter what is happening. You just keep bringing faith to it. How did you continue to do that? You know, you're out there digging your own grave how did you continue to do that? Like, what can we do to have that same kind of belief and faith? It was really hard. Like, I don't know. Like, people are like, you should be so bitter. Why don't you have more hate in your heart? And it's just not in me. I am grateful to be here. There are some of my friends that was I was in the game with that got lined up in the desert and got shot in the head. And I know that they'll never see another day. They're never going to see their child again. And we have so many things to be positive about. Life is so short. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And that just is what keeps me so positive is that um, we have the rest of our lives and we don't know how short it is or how long it's going to be, but we have to be happy that we're here and alive and um, God is a loving God and a forgiving God. And that's the most important thing because for a long time, I couldn't understand why I went through what I went through. But I'm so grateful that he gave me a voice because some girls might not have made it through, whereas I did. So I think that he gave me a voice to give to other people, you know? So that's the most, um, that's the main thing in my eyes. And that's why it makes me be so positive is because my voice can be heard. The fact that you use your voice and raise your voice, despite the opposition, despite the naysayers, despite the negative people who don't have to live with the consequences of your decisions, says everything about you. Thank you for speaking up. Thank you for refusing to stay silent. Thank you for making the difference you make. Such an honor. Thank you, Alicia. I appreciate you. Right back to you, beauty. Thank you. (laughs) 
If you or someone you know has been taken for sex trafficking or you suspect that's happening, call 888-373-7888 or text the word HELP to 233-733. With your help, we can stop human trafficking now. To keep up with all of our latest work, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Trafficked Series. Please be sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to our podcast. I am your host, Cheryl Hunter, and we are here to end human trafficking. So remember, if you see something, say something. This is a Conveyor Media production. Host and creator, Cheryl Hunter. Executive producers, Colin Whelan and Rebecca Sermons. Head producer, writer, editor, Celine Beth Calderon. And music by Mickey O'Brien.